Good morning. It is Logic and Larry. I am your host, Larry K. It's great to be back with you guys. And look, the fact of the matter is that I'm watching the news and I'm watching the mainstream media and I'm watching all the media that everybody else is throwing around at each other. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, damn, I can't just take these long hiatuses for too long and do these hour long shows and rants. I'm going to have to give you guys updates as we go through the turmoil in the Middle East, as we go through the insane nonsense going on down in Washington, D.C., and as we go through these Trump uh, criminal matters, I'm going to have to give you some more frequent updates, and I'm going to do my best to do that. So this is the first of a few Logic and Larry's autumn news updates, and I am your host, Larry Kay. Uh, Everything I say in this podcast is strictly for entertainment purposes. Everything I say in this podcast is strictly my personal opinion as a private citizen speaking on matters of public concern. Nothing I say is in an official capacity. Nothing I say reflects the opinion or view or position of any organization, any entity, or any other person. Uh, But you know I keep it real. We're talking about legitimate facts on this show, and I'm going to give my perspective as a balanced, objective person who doesn't have any partisan or, you know, emotionally driven biases. Um, So first thing on the list is the GOP in the House has now nominated uh, Representative Mike Johnson as the next House Speaker. I'm not sure if he has the votes to win. However, as of right now, which is 8.30 in the morning on uh, Wednesday, October 25th, it seems to me with a lot of the ways that uh, people are talking in the news, they're not saying there's definite no's, they're not saying there's you know a firewall that won't allow him to get the nominee. It seems like there's a lot of momentum behind him because he seems like kind of a regular, melt-toasty, nerdy, cool normal guy that no one knows about, unlike Jim Jordan, so maybe he can get it pushed through without too many moderate Republicans fighting him. Uh, Here's the thing, though. Mike Johnson is uh, a pretty big Trumpy. He's a pretty big conservative. First of all, he's from Louisiana, you know, and a Republican from Louisiana. Always got to put you on notice. Anybody in those southern districts, you know, Republicans, they, they could be suspect sometimes, especially if they are uh, Trump supporters and have been. And Mr. Johnson is a covert little Trump supporter. He may have a decent little presentation. He may come off okay. But at the end of the day, he was uh, signed on to an amicus brief um, trying to find ways to challenge the election. He voted against certifying the election. Um, and he's a staunch uh, Trump supporter, which is quite uh troubling. It should be troubling to anybody. And, you know, it remains to be seen um, how he's going to govern. I mean, McCarthy was a Trump supporter and we know that, but at least McCarthy went out on a limb to keep the government open. I'm not sure what's going to happen with Johnson here, but it's a little bit scary. And here's what bothers me about it. So the Republicans had nominated Mike Emmer uh, the day before. Mike Emmer had been nominated yesterday, had a vote and uh, was voted down. 
and he immediately dropped out after that. Now, apparently there were, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40 Republicans who refused to support Mike Emmer's bid to become House Speaker. But see, Mike Emmer was from Minnesota. Mike Emmer uh, voted to certify the election. Mike Emmer is not a staunch Trumpy. And in fact, Donald Trump himself was tweeting out not to let that rhino get in office. It's got to be MAGA. It's got to be make America great again. All this nonsense sense on his bullshit truth social and so he was against Emmer so here's where I'm pissed off as a centrist common sense normal human being American the Democratic caucus the Democratic Party the entire the entirety of the Democratic representatives in the United States House once again cast their ballot for Hakeem Jeffries Uh, When in reality, what I think they should have done if they wanted to be strategic, the Republican moderates and the majority of the Republican Party had nominated a centrist, normal, you know, functional person in Emmer. And if the Democrats had surprised the conservative Republicans and just voted for him, gotten 50 Democratic votes, you don't have to have the squad vote. You don't have to have people from deep, you know, blue areas of the country vote. But you could have gotten 50, 60, 40, whatever it took Democrats to vote for Emmer. And what you would have gotten out of that would have been strategically brilliant if you were a Democrat. It would have been strategically brilliant for moderates and for sanity in this country, because what they could have done was they could have gotten Emmer to be Speaker of the House, which would be a step up from McCarthy for moderates and centrists, which would be a step up for the country in terms of getting away from this Trump nonsense. Uh, But Democrats completely just tactically ridiculous. And, you know, I got to be honest, I don't think that that party or that group of people in Congress gives a damn about this country either, because it seems like the Democrats are so much more interested in pointing at the dysfunction of Republicans and campaigning against Trumpism than actually defeating and destroying Trumpism and helping the country to move past it, right? Because if Mike Johnson becomes speaker, they're already in the media, in the mainstream media, they're already out there saying, oh, look, he's an extremist deep down. Look what he did. He signed on to this amicus brief. He voted against certifying the election. He's a Trump ally. You already got Trump with his little pom-poms cheering him on saying, you know, get it done. Go for Mike Johnson. And now they're just going to use it to campaign because all they seem to care about is campaigning. But in reality, they could have gotten Emmer elected, which would have been better for the country. And you can't blame Republicans on this. You can't blame Republicans when only eight, all but eight of them voted to keep McCarthy. And I'm not saying McCarthy was good, but all but eight of them voted to keep him in. And his only crime, McCarthy, was daring to keep the government open. And Matt Gates, a dyed-in-the-wool lackey Trumpy, is the one who kicked him out. So the Trumpies want a Trumpian government because all they care about is Trump because they're a weird cult who is anti-democratic, Right. They are, the Trump party is not the Republican party. The Trump faction of the Republican party is a fascist party. That is not my, you know, me being exaggerating. That is not any of that. That is the truth. If you look at textbook fascism, the faction of the party 
that is vehemently behind Trump, despite everything that's going on, despite all the proof that's out there, despite what we've all seen and despite what we all know, it's textbook in an academic sense, fascism. That's the fascist party and they're getting what they want. On the other side, you have a small spat faction of the Democratic Party that are socialists. That's what they are. They're socialists. By the textbook definition, they're socialists. I don't agree with either side of that. But that is the cold, hard reality. And the fact is that the fascists have way more power over the Republican Party than the socialists have over the Democratic Party. That's just a fact. And the reason I went on to that little ideological tangent, and it wasn't my ideolog ideology, it was explaining academic ideologies, is that the Republican Party supported McCarthy after he kept the government open and chose to reach across the aisle. And every single Democrat voted with just eight Republican Trumpies to sink McCarthy. And then the Republican caucus, the, the Republicans in the House, put forth a common sense, decent human being in Emmer. And the Democrats, again, every single Democrat voted with 20 to 40, I forget the exact number, 20 to 40 extremist Trumpian Republicans to sink a moderate Republican. And what do they get in return? They get a covert Trumpy person who God knows what he's going to do. God knows how he's going to govern. And it doesn't help the country in any way. But the Democrats now get to go out and campaign and say, look at this extremist. Look who Mike, look at Mike Johnson. He's a Trump guy. Look, he's not doing anything for the country. Look, he's not getting anything done. Don't let the Trump people win. Don't let the Trumpies win. And they can campaign on it because they don't really care if Trump wins or not. If he wins, in fact, they'll keep their seats even better in the House. All they care about is keeping their seat in Congress, keeping their fat salary in Washington, keeping their district locked down for them, not getting primaried and just cruising in D.C. and living fat off the taxpayer's dime. And they don't really give a whole hell about what happens to the country. And this saga proves it. And that goes for Democrats as well as Republicans. If this guy Mike Johnson gets in, we'll see what he's going to do. But it doesn't look good for the country. And this could have been prevented yesterday. But Democrats decided to play games. You already saw Hakeem Jeffries. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know he's extremist and we're ready and willing to do things for the American people. Yeah, so when he doesn't do it, you can say they're not doing things for the American people. Vote for me for Congress. Here's my donation button. How about doing your actual job that you're actually elected to do with honor and non-cowardice? And who cares if you get elected the next time? How about just do your job for the people that elected you to do it? So that's where we are in the United States House, which is a bunch of clowns getting paid six figures to basically crap on everybody who pays their salary, which is us. And that's where we are. And it's a damn disgrace. Now in Israel, you have uh, negotiations ongoing for the release of more hostages from Hamas. There are certain provisions apparently in the negotiations um, regarding a ceasefire. Israel does not want to come to a ceasefire. That is where we are there. Um, that's a complicated issue, guys. And I continue to see people, you know, from one side to the other, like some people are so vehemently, you know, concerned with making sure that you understand without a doubt, making sure that you're aware of the atrocities being committed with the bombings into Gaza. And they just want you to focus on what's happening to Palestinians, right? And there are 
other people who are just concerned, just concerned with what happened to Israelis in the initial attack and what is happening to the hostages and what the people uh, are fighting for over in Israel. And they want to be sure that you understand their position. But I have to say, as the weeks have gone on, it does seem a bit more like the people more on the Israeli side are saying they're kind of leaning off of it a little bit. But the those, you know, concerned with Palestinians are doubling down, tripling down. And that that's I understand it because I explained to you I explained to you last show. On episode 73, I explained to you the situation that the occupation of Gaza and the West Bank is an ongoing issue that the international community has not been happy with, including the United States. See, the United States, especially under leadership like Biden and Obama, not so much Trump, who basically fueled the fires and just said, Israel, do whatever you want. But, you know, and, and, and look, he sent Kushner to try to make a deal and this and that. I'm not saying he didn't do something, but he doubled down. You know, he moved the embassy. He, he did a lot of things um, that were seen by the Palestinian side as being controversial and as being, you know, uh, not giving them any any anything. Um, but the secretary general of the United Nations said that, you know, the Hamas attacked while he com- condemns it did not happen in a vacuum. He was referring to the ongoing occupation. And I'll tell you, I've had people who are Jewish, who are uh, find themselves more aligned with Israel, but don't necessarily agree with Israeli politics, nor do they agree with the occupation of these territories. They've told me, look, I, I really deeply am saddened by this. I'm really deeply disturbed by what is happening to Jewish people. And look, Hamas wasn't just saying that they're killing Israelis or they're killing settlers or it's some kind of political thing. The Hamas terrorists who attacked us, they were proud to have killed Jews. This is anti-Semitic. This is Jewish hate. This is beyond just Israeli policy. And they have a point. They certainly have a point, don't they? Uh, And we've seen extremism. We've seen it in 9-11. We've seen it. It it does exist, right? Religious extremism does exist. I mean, there's even Christian religious extremism that exists in this country. Um, So it does exist. They have a point. It's not just geopolitical. It it is boiled down to hate and prejudice, right? Um, But I've had people of Palestinian descent who have have contacted me and and have been beside themselves saying their country is hurting, their people are hurting, you know, and and am I going to talk about it? And is anybody going to talk about it? Because it's been ongoing and it's it's terrible. And they're uh, a people without a home and they are constantly being bombarded with bombs and they go through living in fear over there all the time. And they are, you know, basically treated as second class citizens over there. Now, I don't pretend to be an absolute expert on what's going on currently there. But I will say that it is a a complicated issue. I know people don't want to hear that, but it is. And, you know, I find it interesting that some of the same people who were uh, supporting the protesters down in Charlottesville and who were saying they were good people on both sides when it was Christian white supremacists who were making anti-Semitic chants while carrying tiki torches are now all of a sudden vehemently fighting against anti-Semitism when it comes to normally liberal leftist uh, college campus protesters and whatnot 
um, chanting free Palestine. To me, these people who yesterday were on the side of Christian, you know, fundamentalist extremists, white nationalists, and today are so concerned with anti-Semitism are not truly concerned with anti-Semitism on any level. What they are is anti-Muslim people. They are xenophobic, prejudiced people against Muslims. And so if it's Muslims versus Jewish, they just decide they have to take the Jewish side because they are anti-Muslim, right? I don't believe any of these right-wing extremists when all of a sudden they want to vehemently be allies of the Jewish people and of Israel because on every other day and every other time when there isn't a raging war that they can use to target and be angry at Muslims, they are no friend of Jewish people at all, okay? White supremacy and Christian nationalism in this country is never a fan of really anybody else but themselves right that's their ideology right it's their way or the highway they are the supreme way of living they are the supreme race whatever else nonsense they want to spit so i'm sick of hearing from them on this but it's interesting because as soon as israel gets in a conflict now benjamin netanyahu i told you he has a lot of right-wing borderline fascist tendencies he is a crony of Trump's. He's got a lot of nonsense in his own country because the Israeli people, Israel, I've told you this, is a free country. It's a democracy. And the people in that country have been pushing back and protesting him for quite some time. He's under investigation and he's taking away the powers of the courts in Israel. But it's scary to me that any time Israel gets into any kind of conflict and you I heard a Republican congressman say it the other day when they were discussing aid to Ukraine and aid to Israel. There are no strings attached to our aid to Israel. As soon as they decide they're going to do a ground invasion, as soon as they decide they're going to do what they want, as soon as they decide they're going to bomb what they want, as soon as they decide any of those things, the U.S. just writes the check and gives them the, the bombs, gives them the guns, no questions asked, no strings attached. We play games when they're not in an active conflict. We, we say, oh, please don't do that. We really encourage you not to settle this. We really encourage you. But then as soon as they do what they want, as soon as there's a reaction, as soon as there's a, a counter reaction from them, the U.S. just writes the check. And I don't know that I agree with that policy. In fact, I don't agree with that policy. There should always be some kind of strings attached to any aid we give any foreign country that makes sense for the international community, makes sense for us, and makes sense in general. Now, I understand tactically there may be reasons why we just remain a close ally with Israel, no questions asked. And I'm sure that if somebody tells me in depth why that is, there may be a tactical reason why that's the case but sitting here as an objective private citizen observer i find it troubling that we constantly just write whatever check they want especially to somebody like netanyahu who i understand atrocities were committed i understand that action must be taken i'm not saying israel shouldn't retaliate at all after what happened but I'm saying somebody like Netanyahu should not be given free reign and be able to carte blanche just do what he wants because of it. That's dangerous because the guy was already dangerous. And now with this new situation, he's gotten cover to do whatever he wants, it seems, at least from the United States. And that's a little dangerous too. Now with respect to this hospital bombing, that occurred in Gaza. 
I've told you once if I've told you a million times. Or whatever that saying is. All right, it's too early for me to do this. Stop regurgitating and spitting back out media hype and narratives too quickly because they are sensationalist narratives that garner a lot of attention and sentiment before you have the facts. And if you're going to rapidly react and rapidly regurgitate those things because it's a rapid world that we live in, and it's understandable that you would do that, I've done it, we've all done it, then when the facts come out, do not double and triple and quadruple down on the false narrative that you were duped into because it's okay that you were duped into it. The media does that to us. Internet trolls do that to us. Propagandists do that to us. It's okay. But if you've taken a hand in spreading the wrong information, you should take an active hand in disseminating the correct information and correcting yourself. All indications from reputable sources, and don't tell me that you don't all of a sudden believe U.S. intelligence and you all of a sudden don't believe the U.S. government if you're somebody on the left, because your whole argument against Trump is that you trust our intelligence services. The whole argument against Trump is that he's undermining our intelligence services and how dare he question them. So you don't sit there and say all of a sudden you don't believe them when it doesn't suit your agenda. All reputable sources point to Hamas releasing a rocket that was misfired that hit the parking lot of a hospital and in that parking lot explosion took out part of the hospital. So the it was friendly fire. And look, Patrick Tillman died in friendly fire. Unfortunately, in war, in conflict, a lot of friendly fire kills a lot of people. It's very sad. But it does happen. And unfortunately, it looks like the rocket that hit the hospital came from Hamas. So all the sensationalism, all of the media sharing, blaming Israel for the hospital attack, you should probably step out and correct because it doesn't look like it was accurate. It does not look like Israel bombed the hospital. But by the way, you can go through the news in any conflict because of the nature of war and find that the U.S. inadvertently hit hospitals, other countries inadvertently hit hospitals. It's never good. It's terrible. War and conflict should go away. Unfortunately, with the nature of humanity and who we have running things, I doubt it does. But, you know, the sensationalism and, and the sensationalism is one thing, but then the sensationalism and then you using it to get on some kind of high horse to lecture everybody else and lecture the other side is really tired when the information that the lecturing is based on is not even accurate. So I got to tell you that it looks like by every reputable source, Hamas hit the hospital, not Israel. And people are, but it doesn't matter, right? That's how this country works, right? It doesn't matter. That's how, not just, just this country, human society. Doesn't matter what the facts are. 10 years from now, there's going to be people that you bring up the facts and they're going to just still think in their head that Israel bombed the hospital because once the false narrative is out of the bag, it's hard to put it back in. And part of the reason it's hard to put it back in is because the people who initially shared it refused to retract. They just double and triple down and find reasons why they're right. We got to get off that. Are people that insecure as humans that they can't just say, shit, you know, I got duped. I didn't realize. I'm sorry. This is the real information. I mean, what does it have to do with you? It doesn't hurt your character, right? It helps your credibility because at least they know you'll admit when you're wrong. 
So why the hell, <laughs> you know, do we keep doubling and tripling down? Now, I mentioned the other a couple minutes ago that Trump was cheering, you know, the new nominee and was bashing Emmer. Um, you know, and, and I got to say, why is this guy who's got legal battles, he's indicted in several jurisdictions. Who the hell is this guy to be out here tweeting and saying what we need in the United States government, what we need in Congress? I mean, go back 10 years and this bozo was a swindling celeb reality star businessman who played bankruptcy games to get out of debt, built casinos in Atlantic City, and is pretty much the biggest snake oil salesman of all time. And all of a sudden, he's in the sidelines under indictment, tweeting out from Truth Social, which is anything but the truth, about what and how our United States House should be functioning. That to me is just absolutely crazy. It's absolutely crazy that it's even happening, but yet here we are in this country. So I need to tell you and give you some updates on this Georgia case. So first of all, four defendants in the Georgia case have pled guilty, right? And the latest two of them, that's Kenneth Cheeseboro and that's Jenna Ellis have pled guilty to felonies, felonies that involve conspiracy, right? Sidney Powell, the lady who was out there, the lawyer and all that other nonsense, uh, you know, waving the wand about the election fraud and all that crap, she pled guilty to misdemeanor charges right before Cheeseboro did. Now there's a lot of back and forth going on about this Georgia case, right? And it's it's it just again exemplifies how these propagandists and those stakeholders who want to be in control of the minds and the thoughts of bunches of people in this country, they know that their fans and their followers are eager, eager to be fed a narrative that can keep them in the position that they're in rather than facing reality, right? They know that. So... It's fascinating to see how they construct these elaborate lies to feed willing people so they could be comforted, like taking a, a Xanax pill, comforted in the lie. Don't let me believe Trump actually did it. Give me the lie. Yes, the lie. Ah, the lie. And then they start repeating the lie. I feel better. I'm still right. I don't have to admit that I'm wrong. The lie. Feed me the lie. So you're seeing in Fulton County, Georgia, there's a sweeping RICO indictment. And if you don't, if you want to know the details of it and break my breakdown, go back a couple episodes, look at the descriptions. You'll see there's an episode not long ago where I broke down the entire indictment and what it meant and what was going on. But four people have pled guilty, the latest two to felony counts, and they were felony counts involving conspiracy, right? Conspiracy to commit forgery, conspiracy to commit uh, false writings. And what I'm seeing from the Trumpy contingent, which are people that don't like reality much anyway, right? The Trumpy contingent is saying, ha ha, this is what they were fed. And I saw it, it started coming out from up top. First, I didn't know where it was coming from, but you can always, a talking point will start taking root either on the left and right. It'll start taking root on your social media first. Your lefty friends, your righty friends, they'll start repeating some nonsense. And you'll look at it and be like, that 
doesn't seem right. And you'll always be able to trace it to somewhere at the top, some media figure, some politician, some some rabble rouser on the right or left is going to be starting it. So first, I couldn't understand where this was coming from. The narrative was, ha ha, look how bad Fannie's case is. Look how bad Willis's case is in Georgia. These people are getting probation. They're not getting jail time. Ha ha. She must have a weak case. She's giving them easy deals. Ha ha. Now, that is probably the most absurd, ridiculous thing I've ever heard for anybody who's followed high-level white-collar prosecutions for any bit of the last century, including mafia prosecutions. I mean, Sammy the Bull Gravano killed 19 people, murdered 19 people, and he got sentenced to five years but only did five months because he flipped on John Gotti. I mean, this is commonplace stuff. We've seen it over and over again when you flip a lower-level defendant and they plead and take a better deal and they turn evidence against the main target of the investigation. It always happens. So the fact that two main players, who by the way, Ellis and Cheeseboro were lawyers, lawyers who had to admit to felonies, that's not good for their status as attorneys. That's not good for anything. They are now convicted felons, convicted felons. They have to pay a bunch of fines and restitution and probation for five years is no picnic. Somebody checks, you know, what you're drinking, what you're doing. You got to take drug tests all the time. And if you screw up on probation, you're going to jail for five years. I mean, you go from a respected member of society, a practicing attorney to a convicted felon who's getting has to go to appointments with a probation officer and admitting that you're wrong. But here's the biggest thing. This is what I don't. This is why the narrative. I don't even think they believe it that the case isn't good. These people pled guilty because they knew the case was good, so that they were going to get convicted, or there was a good chance they would get convicted of at least some of the charges. So instead, they took a deal that guaranteed them to stay out of jail, even though it meant admitting they were criminals and being a convicted felon. But here's the essence of what happened. Here's the essence of it, right? The indictment. The most primary piece of the indictment that Willis has in Fulton County was a RICO charge. Essentially, a RICO is a criminal organization, a criminal organization in in conspiracy with each other to commit a criminal end. When the indictment was handed down, you have to understand this. This is very important. When the indictment was handed down, the conspiracy and the existence of the conspiracy itself was only an allegation, right? It was Willis saying, prosecutors saying, there is a conspiracy between Trump and all these other people to overturn an election. And to do that, they forged writings. They, you know, hired fake electors. They did all these things in furtherance of the criminal conspiracy. But that was only an allegation. She had to prove that the conspiracy even existed. And she had to do that beyond a reasonable doubt. It was just her allegation. It wasn't proven yet. She laid out the reasons why she thinks it's proven. I thought they were convincing based on the initial indictment, but they weren't yet proven to a jury. They weren't yet beyond a reasonable doubt in the record that there even was a conspiracy. So here's what people have to understand. By Cheeseboro and Ellis 
and Powell pleading guilty to counts involving and admitting to the conspiracy, they have just legally, they have just established the existence of the conspiracy. They have sat there and said, yes, there was a conspiracy, and yes, I was part of that conspiracy. That establishes a huge step of the case against Trump. Now, when Trump and when and if Trump goes to trial on it, she still has to prove that there was a conspiracy in his trial. But if you have four people, maybe more coming, who are going to go in there, who already pled guilty, who are already convicted felons for conspiracy and tell you there was a conspiracy, that goes a long way in proving part of her case. So of course she gave them deals where they don't have to go to jail, but they're still convicted felons because to her, that's low hanging fruit. Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump, those are the high hanging fruits. Thought that's her real target. So she's establishing her case by getting people to admit it. Now there's on the court record people who are literally convicted felons for participating in a conspiracy. So it exists in law, it exists in the record. Who was involved in that conspiracy? Just them? Trump might say it, but it's gonna that's his only argument now because people admitted to being in it. She doesn't have to she does have to prove it in his case. But you catch my drift. There is now evidence in testimony and admissions and convicted felons to help prove it. So that is what's going on in Georgia. This narrative that her case sucks, that's why they're all pleading so quickly, is is counterintuitive. They're pleading because they look like they were probably going to lose. Or I'm not saying that they're probably going to lose. They're pleading because they're guilty, number one, and they're admitting that they're guilty. And they're accepting the fact that they had the right to a trial, but they're not going to go to trial because they are just going to admit what they did. And there's no guarantee they would have been convicted, but them and their attorneys thought it was advantageous to plead, which means they must have thought the case was strong enough to give a likelihood or at least a decent chance of them being convicted at trial and facing prison time. So they quickly pled guilty, took the deals, and now have established that there was a conspiracy and they were a part of it. So that case is building and that case is going exactly nobody. If you didn't think that Willis was going to indict all these people and then flip the lower level people to plead guilty and cooperate with the government against Trump, I don't know what you were thinking. I don't know if you know if you follow the news or anything ever before. I don't know. Maybe you were born literally yesterday if you didn't think that was going to happen. So trust me, it's pure cognitive dissonance, pure cognitive dissonance. If you're out there thinking, oh, it's a crappy case, that's why they they pled to probation. That's just postponing the inevitable that this evidence is stacking up against Trump. And I'll say it once again, it's a disgrace. It's a utter disgusting disgrace and a failure of human society that Donald Trump is still having an influence on our national politics and is the front runner for a nomination of one of the two most prominent parties in politics in this country. It is a failure of this society that that's the case. It is a failure of this society that somebody who most people would have laughed at being president 10 years ago. There are masses of people that will do and say and believe and follow anything he says politically that just shows the frailty of the human mind it's one thing to like the principles that he has and i don't agree with them 
It's one thing to have them and like them and maybe find yourself another candidate like a Ron DeSantis who you can disagree with him all you want, but at least he's an upstanding citizen. At least he has a background in the military and politics and other things. At least he's get, gotten things done as an administrator at the state level, whether we like him or not. But Donald Trump, after everything he's done, after everything he said, after he's shown his sheer ignorance time and time again, you follow him into anything? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you at this point? What's wrong with you? And that's what I'll leave with today. I'll be back with another update, and who knows? Maybe maybe he doesn't win the speakership today, and we have to go back to square one, and that would be a great thing for the Democrats. It would bail them out for their nonsense they pulled. Maybe Mike Johnson doesn't win. If he does, if he doesn't, I'll be back for an update on all these news stories soon. I don't know if it'll be this week, but it'll be soon. And until then, stay sane and stay objective. Larry K. signing out.